0: I don't know how many of you have ever spent time in a strange and unusual place called Alabama. I know that uh, we have a lot of Arkansas fans here, so I don't mean to offend by talking about this, but if you've ever been to the town of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, it is a very unique experience. Uh, I've had a lot of friends in ministry over the years that were Uh, From Alabama, specifically, some of them had served in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I've worked with many uh, ministry staff members that were from Alabama. I've served under three senior pastors that were from Alabama. One of which was the chaplain of the Alabama Crimson Tide football team. Uh, Part of my ministry training, whenever I started in college ministry, was to go to Calvary Baptist Church on the campus there of the University of Alabama to. uh, to spend time with their leadership and their college ministry, and to see what God was doing and how those things were organized. Uh, if you don't know where Calvary Baptist Church is, it is literally across the street from Bryant Denny Stadium. Okay, so I mean, I was in the enemy's camp. Okay, and so, uh, so I, I say that I, I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, the commercial that came out a few years ago. ESPN had this commercial that came out a few years ago. Where everything that people said was roll tied. Okay, now I'll try not to say that very much because I know those are blasphemous words in this place. Uh, but everywhere they would go in every situation, it seemed like those two words were an appropriate greeting, and appropriate words of comfort. There was a, in the commercial, one of the scenes was a young man, a teenager, dropping off his date. I believe the situation was that the, that the dad comes and turns the porch light on to kind of signal that it's time for her to come in the house. And uh, so they're kind of sad. They've had a good time on their date. All this is conveyed in two words, in the sadness but also in the joy. They kind of give each other that old RT uh, phrase. There was another situation where they were at a funeral. And uh, and, and at the funeral, uh, everybody was mourning, but words of comfort in the time of mourning were those two words. And one of the things that, you know, you may think that that's an exaggeration. I'll tell you from somebody that spent a lot of time in Tuscaloosa and sometime on the the campus of the University of Alabama, I'll tell you that that might be just a little bit exaggerated, but not much at all. I mean, that's pretty much how it is. Everywhere you go, you go into the grocery store, you go into the gas station, and people are throwing you that greeting everywhere you go. You see, a lot, like, a, a lot like Arkansas fans, they are united behind their love for their team. Now, we understand that as well as Arkansas fans. Now, we don't always give everybody a go-hog or a whoopig pig every time we see them, quite as much as an Alabama fan might use their greeting. But whenever you're in a place, whether you're in a gas station or you're at the store, pass somebody in public and you see them, they've got the hog on, you know, the girls, they put the cute little hog thing on their cheek, you know that's a Razorback fan. Instantly, you have identified with that person. You're, you're in a stadium of thousands of people, whether it be at War Memorial or at uh, Reynolds Razorback Stadium in Fayetteville. You're surrounded mostly by people that you do not know, yet you are all united by a common bond in that you are fans and you are supporters of your team. And so as we look at Ephesians 4, we see Paul talking about some of the things that unite us as believers, some of the things that give us a oneness as Christians. And as he does this starting in verse 4, Paul in verse 4, 5 and 6, Paul is going to give us Seven statements, seven spiritual realities, seven descriptions of how we are united or how we are made one in our faith. So we're going to read Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. It says this, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. So Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to understand that these ways in which we are one in Christ, Father, I pray that you would speak to us in this time together before we take the Lord's cup together as we worship you in that special way. Father, help us to see the significance, of our calling in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have these seven ways of oneness we have listed here. The first thing that we see here that Paul says is there's one body. One body. Now when when the apostle Paul talks about the body, he, he says there's one body. He's talking about the church and Throughout the New Testament, you see this uh, referenced over and over again. It's referenced again in the Book of Ephesians as well. That that Scripture talks about the body of Christ It's talking about the church, and and usually whenever Scripture, in, but obviously in the New Testament, because that's where we well, that's where we see the the New Testament church. Okay, uh, but in the New Testament, when it talks about church or the body of Christ. It almost always, almost, almost always is talking about a specific local body of believers. That's why the, uh, the the book of Ephesians is the book that is written to the believers, to the saints at Ephesus. Ephesus is a place. The book of Galatians it's written to believers in the region of Galatia. Uh, the book of Thessalonica is written to first and Second Thessalonians is written to the believers at Thessalonica and the believers at Rome in the book of Romans. and on and on you go. Today, right here where we are, this where we are right now, this is a specific local gathering of believers. Perryville First Baptist Church is a local New Testament church. It's not any New Testament church because it is Perryville. First Baptist Church so these, these this is the gathering of believers uh, that is uh, here in Perryville of Southern Baptist particularly believers here in Perryville that gather under the name of Perryville First Baptist Church and so we see that the church is when it's when it's mentioned in the Bible typically it's mentioning specific body of Believers. Now, before I move on, and as we think about just the fact that we are specifically a group of believers here at First Baptist Perryville, I, I want to take the opportunity to encourage you if you're here today, if you do not have a church home, I would encourage you to pray about and consider making Perryville First Baptist Church your church home. Uh, and of course, God's not going to leave, uh, lead everyone here. Uh, But he's going to lead some people here. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a disciple that's seeking to grow in the Lord, God has a church home for you, whether that's this church or some other church. But I would encourage you that if you are here today and you don't have a church home, pray about what God would have you do. Because uh, we would love to welcome you here at Perryville First Baptist Church. You know, a lot of times in churches this size, you have people who come to church and they, they give, they participate, they're present, they're here. But for whatever reason, a lot of times and sometimes we see a lot of folks who are involved in a church but never have really become a member of the church. And so I want to I want to encourage you pray about joining you don't have to come you can come down at at, at an invitation and let me know and I'd be happy to to talk with you briefly then and set up a time to talk to you more in the future Uh, but you don't have to come down you can find me after church you can call the church office and set up a time we'll talk would love to sit down and talk to you and help think about and help explain what it means to be a member of Perryville First Baptist Church and so um, so I want to encourage you to pray about that. Where is your church home? We would love to be your church home. But Paul says there is one body. But in this passage, although most of the time when, when the New Testament talks about the body and the church is talking about specifically a specific local gathering of believers, in this context, that's really not what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking not about a local gathering of believers, but he is talking about the global gathering of believers. He's not talking about the local church when he says there is one body. He's talking about the global church. He's talking about all of the Christians all over the world. No matter, what, uh, no matter what town you live in. No matter what your background has been. No matter what denomination you are in. If you have trusted and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have put your hope and your faith in Christ. If you repented of your sins. The Bible says that you are a part of God's global or universal church. The truth is is that being a member of this church or that church, that doesn't really get you into heaven. You see, having your name on the church roll, whether it be this church or that church or some other church or a Baptist or an Assembly of God or a Methodist or a Catholic or whatever it would be, none of that will guarantee your place in heaven. Over the years, you know, I've heard people ask questions similar to this. Someone might say, hey, are you one of those narrow-minded Baptists that believe that only Baptist people are going to be in heaven? And really, you know, there's no real great way to answer that, but I've learned that my answer is no. I'm even more narrow-minded than that because I don't even believe that all Baptist people are going to be in heaven. It's Just because you associate with a church does not mean that your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because when it comes down to it, friends, it does not matter where your salvation is concerned, where heaven is concerned. It does not matter which church your name is written in, the roles of which church. What matters most is that your name is written in the role that is found in the Lamb's Book of Life. Whenever you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Scripture tells us that you are reborn, that your name is written in that book. You are saved for, forevermore. And so there is one body, Paul says. But the other thing he says is that there's one spirit. He says there's one body and there's one spirit. Have you ever heard anybody say something like this? Hey, you know, I can't be at church today, but I'll be there in spirit. Hasn't everybody say anything like that? Hey y'all better watch out. You might be sitting on somebody's spirit here this morning, okay? But the reality is is that you can't really be anywhere other than where you are, okay? And most of the time when people say I'll be there in spirit, what they mean is hey, I can't be there but I would like to be, okay? And we know that there are people who have health issues and family issues and you know, they can people can't always come to church every Sunday. So and we know that, we realize that But when people say, I'll be there in spirit, most of the time they mean, hey, uh, I'm not going to be there, but I I really wish I could. But that's that's not the kind of spirit that Paul's talking about here. Paul, when he says there's one spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. Because as believers in Christ, we are united. We are made one by the one and only Holy Spirit of God. See, Scripture teaches that when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of your heart. He comes to live inside of you. That's why in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul tells the, the, the Christians there at Corinth, don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives in you? He, he says, don't you realize that your body You as as people, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. There is one body, but there is one spirit. You know, Scripture teaches us that God is ever-present all of the time. We say, some of the theologians says that he is omnipresent. He is all-present. What that means is that God is not limited by space and time the way that you and I are. We can't be in more than one place at one time, but God can, because He's ever present. And so the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of me is the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of each and every one of you who has become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about that, and I think about, wow, you mean the same spirit that that dwelled in the heart of great men of our faith like Billy Graham and Adrian Rogers. That same spirit is the spirit that lives inside of us as believers. The same spirit that lives in great men of faith of, 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 of today, like, like uh, guys like Francis Chan and these people that are making big impacts on our culture, like Louis Giglio and the people that have been around for a long time, like your John MacArthur's. the same Holy Spirit that lives in them, the same Holy Spirit that guides them, that's the same Holy Spirit. That lives in me as a believer. That's an amazing thing. So when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. It's the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of of any other believer. And because of that we are united. We are bonded. We are made one through the Holy Spirit of God. So we see that there is one spirit. We also see that there's one hope. One hope. And Paul says, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. Now, this is one of the, uh, the, the times we look at the word hope. A lot of times I'll, I'll say, hey, the Greek word of this really probably would be translated a little better with this English word or this English phrase. But in this particular case, the Greek word that is translated as hope has the same exact definition in the Greek That the word hope does in the English so uh, in the Greek and in the English hope means to confidently expect something to confidently expect something And, and the reality is a lot of times a lot of times when we think about the word hope we don't always really use the word hope in a positive way we don't always really think about the word hope as Well, we don't usually utilize it in a way where it conveys that we positively expect something. You know, you might, uh, you know, someone might say, hey, you know, how's our team going to do this year? And you say, I hope they do good, okay? That doesn't necessarily mean that you expect that they do good. You're saying, I'm hoping, I'm wishing that they will do well. But see, the hope that Paul is talking about here goes beyond a wish. It's, it, 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 it goes beyond a, a negative or a neutral thing. It is a positive thing. See, biblical hope, the hope that Paul's talking about here, it does not wish and want. It anticipates and expects. It's not a hope that just wishes and wants, but it anticipates. It looks forward, expecting something to happen. See, believers in Christ... Have access to hope. We have access to the hope of God, Jesus Christ, who is the hope of glory. But yet, we live in a world where a lot of us and a lot of people feel hopeless. When you look at the world around us, it's not hard to feel hopeless or have that sense. You look at terrorist attacks, school shootings that just keep piling up and piling up. There was a day when If a plane crashed into a building or somebody was executed, you know, in a foreign country by a terrorist, that was a, it's always a big deal, but it was, it was a a big news story because it's not something that happened very often, but you know, those things are happening more and more these days. There was a day when, when Columbine and Conyers, Georgia happened and those school shootings, it was shocking to so many because we'd never seen it before, but it is common in our culture today and you look around and you realize that you can't control everything everybody does you can't always anticipate how or when somebody's going to do something evil and and it's real easy to feel hopeless in those situations we feel scared you know politics scare us politics terrify us you you turn on you turn on a Fox News, and you get one story. You turn on just about every other channel, and you get another story with CNN or EMSNBC or this network or that network. And sometimes there's a little nuance in some of the things they're saying. But there, <coughs> excuse me, there are some networks that will give you sort of one version of the story, and other networks give you another version of the story. You're never really sure where the truth is. And depending on where you lean politically, you get riled up about this network or that network and what these people say and they that people those people say. And so we we realize that that our nation is divided. And when we look around, we see the division of our nation. We're frightened. Friends, I'm ready to live in a nation that is back together again. I'm ready to live in a nation where we see unity. Because Scripture teaches us, and I believe this is true, and I believe our forefathers understood this, the founding fathers of our nation, that a nation divided against itself Cannot stand, amen. That's why we were not uh, we were not named the divided states of America, but the United States of America. I'm ready to see a world where we're united. And man, it's scary when we look around the political situation, uh, both here in America and around the world today. Personal circumstances can sometimes cause you to feel helpless. Things happen in life you can't control. I've talked to people, and I've known people over the years, uh, you know, and we would talk about things, especially people in the ministry, and you'd say, you know, hey, you know, what's your long-term plan? What are you going to do when your kids are grown? Man, you know, one day are you going to retire? And they'll they'll kind of drop their head, and they they frown, and they said, man, I I can't afford to put money in retirement. And every time I think about retirement, it just, it, it, it overwhelms me with stress and anguish and and uh, in, 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 in all of these things, you know, there are people that have it much worse than that. They have personal circumstances that uh, they, they hear that they have an incurable disease or a condition and they have to make decisions about whether or not to do treatment and if it's going to be worth it and all of these things. But the reality is that there's nothing that can be done in a lot of cases to completely cure them of that condition or that disease and it can feel hopeless. You see, I'm, when I read scripture, I'm reminded that I don't have to feel hopeless anymore. Titus 2, verses 11 through 13 says this For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen friends, there's a lot of things that I don't really know. I don't know how many games the Hawks are going to win next year. I don't know who's going to win the Super Bowl in 2020. I don't have the foggiest guess. I really don't know exactly what the economy or the stock market or any of those things will do in the next few years. I don't know when we will go to war and when we will not. I don't know when we're going to see a more peaceful and harmonious United States or if it, how much longer it will continue on as divided as it is today. I don't know when the next terrorist attack will come or when the next school shooting will be. There are a lot of things that I do not know, but here's one thing that I do know. There is hope in the Lord. We do not have to live a life in a hopeless way. This world is not my home. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this world is not your home. And I know that one day Jesus will return. One day he's going to take this broken world. One day he's going to right all of the wrongs and he will heal all of the sick. He will fix the brokenness and he will reign forever and ever. Amen. One day. He will come back. I also know that should your time to step in eternity happen before Jesus comes back, I know that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not going to step into an eternity that is like the world that we live in here today. You're going to step into an eternity where there is no pain, where there is no suffering. You are going to step into Uh, in eternity where there is no disease and there is no death, you are going to step into a place like that old country hymn says that you'll be in a land where we'll never grow old. There is a hope in Jesus. There is one hope that unites us. The next thing is there's one Lord. Look at verse 5. It says there is one Lord. The book of Acts tells us that there is one name Given unto men whereby we must be saved. We must be saved. There is one name from heaven given to humanity. And by that one name we must, not we can, not we ought, not we should, but we must be saved. And his is the one and only name that can save us. It is the name of our one and only Lord. Philippians two shares some about that name with us. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 it says, For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God." father see when we think about jesus our lord jesus christ you know a lot of people think that the word christ is like his last name his first name is jesus and his last name is christ but that's really not it his first name is jesus in those days jesus so you know was a very common name jesus is the greek transliteration of the hebrew name joshua you think how common the name Joshua is today? The name Jesus similarly would be, have been that common in those days, in the first century. But the name Christ, that's not his last name. The name Christ is a title that has been given unto him. The name Christ means Messiah. Jesus, Messiah. It means Lord. He is our the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. You see, the name Christ is a title. It means that He is our boss, that He guides our lives, and that He directs our paths, and it means that we as believers should submit ourselves to His Lordship. And As Paul says in Philippians 2, there's going to come a day, a day when every, everyone, every knee will bow and confess that He is Lord, both here on earth, in heaven, and below. You know what that tells us? That tells us that the question for us is not whether or not you will bow, whether or not you will confess Jesus as Lord, but the question is when you will confess it. If you confess the name of Jesus here on this earth, and you confess it in repentance first, and then from that point on you will confess it in worship and in reverence to him. When you confess the name Jesus and that Jesus is Lord in heaven, you will be doing so as you bow to worship him eternally at the throne. But if you have to bow and confess the name of Jesus in the place of torment, then you're bowing and confessing in futility. Because for you, Scripture says it's too late. See, Scripture tells us it's appointed once for man to live. And after that, to die and to be judged. There is one Lord. And his name is Jesus Christ. There's also one faith. One faith. Now in the in the Bible, the word faith can can really mean a couple different things. Just like all of these other words, you know, when we study faith in Ephesians 2, we, we studied saving faith. We talked about the act of having faith in something, the act of Trusting in God to trusting in Jesus for your salvation, but the word faith here in Ephesians four in this passage is not faith as an action as something that that sort of is enacted because of something you believe. It's really talking about faith as a noun, and that faith is is a set of doctrines. Okay, it's a set of beliefs. It's it's a it's it's a set of it's a system of of doctrines and beliefs that. Based on the Word of God, so He says there is one faith. You see, the Word of God teaches us that that God has revealed Himself through creation. God has revealed Himself through the prophets. He has revealed Himself through history. He has revealed Himself by the delivery, by the bringing of the Messiah, in which He promised our Lord Jesus Christ. He is uh, He has revealed Himself. And what his standard is, and what his desire is for our lives, and all of it is found in God's word. And it's God's word is so important and so vital. Our faith is is so important to who we are that uh, that Scripture says uh, God tells us in the book uh, in in the book of Revelation in the Word of God, He says that nobody should ever add to or take away from it. And if they do, let him be accursed, because there is. One faith, and this is it. So we have one Lord, and we have one faith, but we also have one baptism. Again, the word baptism in Scripture can refer to to, uh, primarily the two different things. And many times we get these two things confused, and many people do. You see, there's one type of baptism that we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, some will tell you that baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you're able to speak in some unknown language and it's some sort of special blessing from God. That does not necessarily reflect what we see in scripture as speaking in tongues, but there are people that believe that. Uh, But in reality, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The word baptism means to immerse or to feel, to cover. Okay, That's why when we do water baptism, we Go underneath the water, because that's that's what baptized means, to immerse, to cover. And so the Holy Spirit, when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart. We talked about one spirit. That's when it happens, when you're reborn. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. He fills you. He covers you. And you are baptized spiritually at that moment. So there's there's spirit baptism, but there's, other, there, there's another baptism, and it's, water baptism water baptism is simply I mean it's an amazing thing but water baptism does not save you okay water baptism is is, is not it is, is not the the actual event it's it's a picture of the event okay just like if I was holding a picture of my wife and I was looking at her beautiful face I mean I see her and I see things reflected I see her unique characteristics reflected on the paper, but that is not actually her. Water baptism is the picture of the spiritual baptism that happens when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, it's not required. Water baptism is not required for salvation, but it is important. We've talked about this before. It is crucial for our Discipleship. That's why Jesus went to great effort to allow John the Baptist to baptize him. To set the example of what it looks like to follow Christ. If you're a believer who has never followed or obeyed God through the command of scriptural baptism, if you, if you never go through and you never go through with water baptism, if you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that's not going to keep you out of heaven. But one day, you'll have to stand in front of God and tell the Lord why it is that you neglected to do the, the first thing that He commands you to do as a disciple, which is to go through the, uh, uh, go through the act of water baptism. So, Lord, you know, I just will get my hair wet. Well, you know, Lord, I, I never could find time. You know, Lord. That crazy pastor, I never know when he's going to forget to turn the heater on, and I don't want to get up there and be baptized in the cold. You know what I mean? What will your excuse be? Standing before God and saying, you know, yes, I love you, Lord. Yeah, yeah, yes, Jesus, you're my boss. But I just decide not to do the, one, the first thing that you told me to do whenever I became a believer. If you've not, never followed the Lord in biblical baptism, I want to encourage you to pray about that and, 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 uh, and, and, and do it. Okay, You need to. You need to. So there's one baptism. The last thing we see is that there's one Father. One Father, one God, and He is our Father. Now I'm sure you've heard people say things like this. Hey, you know we're all God's children. And you know, most people when they say that, they, they're saying we're all created, we're all part of God's creation, but if you're not careful, you can get the wrong idea. There are people out there today, you just watch the news and watch media, you see these people, like, well, we're all God's children, and, and so, you know, whatever I want to do is okay, you know, I have my truth and you have your truth, but we're all God's children. Well, if you mean we're all created by God, that is true, but if you mean... We've all been adopted by God into his family. That is not true. Okay? Scripture teaches us that he does not become your spiritual father, that, he, that you are not adopted into his family until you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you experience that spiritual baptism when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and that is when you are adopted into the family of God. We serve an amazing God. He is a father to the fatherless. And a lot of people have a hard time with the idea of God being a father because many of us, maybe some of us, have had dads that weren't the kind of fathers as they were called to be. And so we think about a God who is our father, we automatically connect to the dad who was not the dad, he should have been to us. Maybe he abused us or maybe he treated us badly. Maybe he treated our mothers badly. Maybe he walked out on us. Maybe he ignored us. Whatever it might have been. But you have to understand that there is a God in heaven who is the father. He is more than a father than your dad could ever have been. And if your dad would have only trusted him, if he would have only submitted his life to God, then God would have worked through him into your life, and you would have a more healthy understanding of what it means to be a father today. He wants to love you. He wants to care for you. He'll provide for you. He will lead you, guide you, and he will dispense wisdom to you if you will trust in him. Paul says there's one body, one spirit you are called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God who is Father of all, who was above all, through all and, in all, and in all. We can trust Him because He loves us. Friends, is He your Lord? Is He your boss? Is He your Father? Is He your God? See, Jesus taught his disciples. He says, You're either with me or against me. But the beauty of all of that is that you choose whom you will follow. Let's pray.